Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore a relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. Episode 72, Peter Mark Adams and the Power of the Healing Field. In this episode, we speak with author, occultist, and energy healer Peter Mark Adams about all the different modalities that healers have at their disposal to work with subtle energies. From EFT, which is simple and can be learned in 15 minutes and has helped veterans of Vietnam remedy PTSD, to Reiki, mind connection healing, and many others. We talk about different states of consciousness, from rational to intuitive, empathetic, psychic, to unitive mystical states. We talk about entity attachment and removal, about why an attitude of service is necessary for true spiritual growth, and that nebulous concept of the field and the ethical underpinnings of it. Now, there is a video option for this episode on YouTube, and I think on Spotify too, and Peter shares with us a number of slides and graphics, so if you want to check those out, go to YouTube, and we're plant cunning. Um, or check the the visual, the video option on Spotify. There's also a really special event that's coming up for plant lovers that we're thrilled to share with you all as well. It's happening this spring equinox, and it's an online summit hosted by our friend, Sarah Artemisia, who was on the show for episode 36, where we talked about flower essences and the Akashic Records and some of her experience with the magic of plants. So definitely check that episode out if you haven't heard it yet. But the Plant Spirit Herbalism Summit is an online event where Sarah interviews some of the most amazing, well-respected herbalists and mentors in the herbal community and creates a community of us, uh, the viewers and attendees, to really experience some of the magic of plants together. And so it's a free event to join live, and then there's an option to purchase the recordings for just $57 if you want the all-access pass. And last year during the summit, I really enjoyed it. I wish that I could have seen every single episode and kind of wish that I did get the all-access pass, but I remember when Anjane Wilson, who we also interviewed, was sharing her experience about her glow up and rose I sort of had this like trippy experience like I felt like I was just like connecting with the spirit of rose and like maybe I was on some entheogens just hearing them talk about it so I expect nothing less this year with this amazing lineup there's 33 herbalists and plant people like Rosemary Gladstar and Matthew Wood Mary Blue Margie Flint and Kat Meyer and so many more So there's more info about the event. Uh, Click the link in our little blurb below. You can get registered there. It's March 18th through the 20th. um, And if you purchase the all access pass, we get a percentage, like a pretty hefty percentage of the sales that anyone who uses our unique partner link will be also supporting the podcast. So it's a great way to show your support for the podcast and also a great way to support Sarah Demesia and her hard work of putting this all together and a great way to be nourished by the plant people and really soak up their wisdom and get to savor all of these great talks. So check it out and we hope you enjoy the episode today. Thanks for listening.
Okay, so today on the Plant Cunning Podcast, we have Peter Mark Adams, who is the author of a number of books that more recently, The Power of the Healing Field, which is a really interesting book about energy healing and different modalities, which I think are, are very inter- interesting and helpful for uh, especially herbalists and any, any healers. Um, so, uh, Peter, how are you today? Oh, great. And uh, thanks so much for asking me on your show. It's wonderful to be here. Well, it's an honor for us. I mean, I first heard about you, I think, uh, from a couple of years ago, the game of Saturn was was very big in certain circles. And, uh, you know, that, that was a really yeah. interesting thing. And then this is like totally different, uh, <laughs> <laughs> totally different side. Uh, but it also really interesting and a lot of good stuff in here. Um, okay. So... I guess for, for our first question usually is how did you come to the plant path? Um, but I guess you're more of an energy healer. So how did you come to the path of healing? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I guess I was one of those weird kids, you know, always kind <laughs> of um, connected to some other dimensions and, uh-huh. and, and states, you know, but I really got connected to energy work first. Okay. And for instance, I I studied Shotokan Karate with a a very distinguished uh, UK master. Um, And that taught me enormous about about inner energy and and the cultivation of energy. Um, And then I was like, I did Tai Chi and various meditative techniques. Um, So all that was like going on from my like late teens, well into my middle age. And then uh, it was very late, actually, a friend of mine introduced me to Usui Reiki. Mm-hmm. And that's really when I switched uh, from like esoterica into the path of healing fully on. So that was enormously influential because the teacher I had then was so powerful. She had a, a immense Kundalini energy herself. Mm-hmm. And um, the phenomena around her, you know, especially with someone like a bit sensitive like myself, mm-hmm. the phenomena around her was absolutely astounding. Um, you know, I can give you some cases of that if you like. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, for instance, the fir- first time I met her, you mm-hmm. know, we were sitting there with my partner, Kenzie, and we're just talking about the healing path and Reiki, what it was, how, did, how all of this. And I started getting these blobs of green floating in front of my visual field. Huh. Okay. <laughs> and I was like rubbing my eyes. <laughs> and I was like looking at the window. I know there's nothing there, you know. And I looked back at her and it was getting worse and worse. And these blobs were starting to come together and coagulate. And I only realized later that my, it was like third eye was helping and opening because of the amount of her own intense energy field. And yeah. finally, I could see like a green, like oil paint almost flowing over her arms and shoulders, face, wow. but mixed with a very, uh, I mean, it's an emerald green and mixed with a, um, like a sapphire blue. Mm-hmm. And I was like, and, and then all around her, there was this dense green aura emanating like 10, 12 centimeters from the body. You know, so that was my first exposure to the path of healing and Reiki energy, you know, mm. and from then on, I, whenever I encounter healers, you know, dedicated, uh, especially a Sui Reiki healers, I can see this, this green in their aura. Mm. 
you know, so that that has become very much part of the, you know. Yeah. It's better than an argument just to see it yourself, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Direct experience <laughs> trumps everything. I'd say one thing, though, about Reiki is lots of people get it, but they don't have great experiences with it. Mm -hmm. um, I just want to say one thing to everyone who wants to get it or gets it. You need to spend the first like 10 days to two weeks and you practice Reiki every single day on yourself and on your dog, your cat, <laughs> anyone who will you know, open themselves to it. And if you do that along with a basic uh, detox, you know, basic purification, um, you're going to feel the energy real strong in your hands from then on. You so maybe know, you can that, tell, yeah. tell us a little bit more like what Reiki is and, and how it works and yeah. how to it's, access uh, First of all, I want to contextualize it. I'm, you know, I'm in like Istanbul, right? Yeah. So from here to Japan, hand healing is a thing. You know, it's known. There's a huge background. Yeah. Yeah, it's in the Sufi traditions, it's in Central Asian shamanic tradition, all the way to Japan. So the thing that makes uh, Reiki unique is its penetration into the West. That's all. Mm. OK, that that was the shift that happened, you know, and it was through Hawaii because of the U.S. presence there and mm. into the mainland, you know, so. A lot of people think that it's it's something completely unique and it isn't but it's a valid lineage that's what i want to say because there's a lot of things now which advertise themselves as reiki but uh, probably more accurately described as reiki like mm -hmm. and I, I don't say they're good or bad i just don't know i mean i hear good report from most of them yeah, um, yeah. but with, with the usui reiki i mean usui was a tendai buddhist that's to say he was into inner energy work, mm -hmm. um, dedicated meditator and everything. And this came to him. So it's, you know, he said, well, I, you know, it's not my energy, you know, <laughs> and, that, and that's the thing with Reiki. It's not your energy. You just put yourself forward as a channel and then you let go. You don't have um, anything in the outcome. Right. That's important. Otherwise, because it, it's dead easy to shift from doing Reiki to start channeling your own energy. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's another that's bioenergy. You know, that's another thing or it's therapeutic touch or any of those modalities. They're fine, but you have to know how to replenish your energy with those techniques because you're mm -hmm. using your own energy and you have to know when to stop because otherwise you'll run down like a battery okay reiki doesn't have any of those problems it's straight in through your crown chakra out through your hands okay mm -hmm. that's it so i say it's spiritually guided and that's the big step that most of us have to take is to acknowledge that the universe is a living cosmos mm -hmm. that there are many forms of consciousness and sentient awareness in and around us that we're not aware of and I will show you a photograph of, in fact, I think I sent it to you. Yeah. The Reiki energy in manifestation externally. That was invisible to me when I took that photograph. Mm -hmm. I couldn't see anything. It was only when I, I got one of the first digital cameras back in 2000 or so. 
And that's what I took that photograph with, the simplest plastic digital camera on the market, you know. Yeah. Only when I uploaded those images that we saw the huge orange glow of this energy, which if you look closely at the photograph, it has structure inside. And a couple of the people are like illumined, like almost a halo effect around them. And then I took us because when I took the photograph, if you can imagine standing in front of a mirror, right, with a flash camera and you take a photograph straight at the mirror, it just the light just comes straight back into the into your eyes like that. And that's what happened to me that day. So I said, oh, that's right. what's wrong with the camera? I took another one and another again, uh, fourth time. <laughs> It came back, you know, there was no flash. Oh, wow, that was really weird. You know, we had no idea. Yeah. The energy had a density sufficient to reflect light, but was not visible to the naked eye. So we're we're looking at frequency here, which we don't really understand. Yeah. we, We fully understand the frequencies employed in energy healing. Right, you know, which I can just briefly outline if you like, you know. Sure, yeah. Every part of the body em- emanates an extremely low frequency electromagnetic field. And the frequency range is between 0.5 to 50, 60 hertz per sec- cycles per second. Okay. And it, as you sweep that range, you know, with electromagnetic frequencies, it has a curative effect on people. So there's a mainstream medical technology like that. PEMF, pulsed electromagnetic frequency. And, you know, if you have a broken arm, they can wrap a, like a, a blanket around it, you know, which has the electrical uh, lines through it. And they set up a pulse running through that frequency range and, and it heals quicker than it would otherwise. Okay. So the hands of energy healers also emit the same extremely low frequency electromagnetic pulse across that range sweeping when you do that kind of healing with reiki the amplitude of the waves is up to a thousand times greater than normal Hmm. yeah okay so that's where the acceleration effect comes from you know so reiki like you know there's been in fact a recent medical study put out uh has shown that it has a enormous benefit in in pain relief Mm-hmm. It is a clinical study. I, I just read about it a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. So there's an increasing crossover now between allopathic, as you call, and uh, complementary techniques. You're seeing them starting to blend together. You know, it's taken decades, but it, it is <laughs> happening. Yeah. So you, you see a lot of the leading hospitals now have Reiki in the hospital. You know, mm-hmm. it's an option over there. And the reason is that people love it and it works. So, you know. So there's also a good uh, physical basis for it. But of course, the spiritually guided part of it is problematic in Western cultures. Right, right. So where where does the energy come from? Well, it's, I mean, we're we're swimming in it. (laughs) The whole universe is just that, energy matter. Mm-hmm. Um, and the remarkable thing is that through our um, sentient awareness, we're able to channel. Mm-hmm. So we can bring it into a focus. And when it when it's delivered in a focus way, it has this curative effect. So, you know, if you have a cut, a bruise, anything, you immediately apply Reiki and you'll it'll be gone. 
Mm. Okay? I, we've, we've tested this so many times, cuts, bruises, any kind of pain, ache, you know, even anxiety. It just, it just is naturally, uh, you know, restorative. So as a preventive philosophy of life, it's wonderful. You know, this is going to, I, I, I treat my, I, my eyes get a pounding because I write a lot. I'm yeah. online a lot and I'm elderly. I treat my eyes every morning and every night. Okay. For at least mm -hmm. half an hour mm -hmm. until all that like dryness, whatever is gone, mm -hmm. you know? So I went along to the eye clinic. Uh, this was some time ago, actually. And I'd been there 10 years before, you know, and they took eye scans. They still had the color images. And he looked at those and he looked at the new ones. And he, there's something wrong here because these <laughs> later ones are better than 10 years before. Wow. And he was like, no, that's not actually possible. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, just keep doing. That. <laughs> yeah, they don't want to know. They just just keep doing it. Yeah, just keep. Doing it. That's so, so cool. We, we had we had a lot of doctors actually coming for you know energy technique training. You know the the crossover is happening. It's happening among psychiatrists, psychotherapists, and it's also happening uh, with medical doctors and mm -hmm. you know like like the the nurses and and healthcare workers have been using therapeutic touch for decades. You know right. So these things right. are not as far apart from each other as, you know, we, we tend to think in our more pessimistic moods. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. I guess the main thing is that they <clears throat> contradict those fundamental precepts of material reductionism. Yeah, and they do. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Um, and that's a big problem still. Um, I will say one thing. I mean, my academic training is in philosophy, but it was real hard core logical analytic philosophy analytic, yeah that's... you know i did that stuff three years formal logic and everything uh, but i noticed that now that from the late 70s early 80s to today panpsychism for instance wouldn't have been mm -hmm. even considered then now international conferences of you know professional philosophers from universities are meeting precisely and only to discuss panpsychism. So, you know, there is a quiet revolution going on and boundaries and borders are, are starting to come down. And uh, for instance, just last week, there was a um, self-simulation hypothesis interpretation of quantum mechanics, right? A new approach, which deems the universe as self-consciously aware and evolving itself. Oh, like, mm. like the guy hypothesis? Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and this was in the science journal. Uh, so, yeah. you know, things are changing. We just kind of keep, 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 keep to the track. We were right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we keep finding out. We were right. Mm. But <laughs> yeah, science keeps like supporting that. And, you know, you say in your book that like the healing or is like the side doesn't challenge science. It challenges the mainstream understanding of consciousness and reality. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So and I think when you get the, the positive results, mm -hmm. when you get right. the positive results, you know, people don't argue. They yeah. only argue when it's like a philosophical conundrum, you know, and they'll argue forever. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's still the skeptic society, which is like a debating club. 
Yeah. But, you know, they don't actually, they're not hands-on with with people. They're not, you know, trying to do something yeah. practical in the world. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't have consequences. It's just uh, a logical yeah. argument for them. So that's a good point. There, there is though, it seems, there seems to be a kind of disconnect between, well, like there's like the mainstream public opinion and then there's like, you know, specialists. Um, but it, it seems as though scientism is kind of like the state religion. I don't know if that's the true in Istanbul, but in the U.S. it kind of seems that way. You oh, know, yeah, it, it's, it's absolutely like that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, Rupert Sheldrake, for instance, has done how many decades of studies now about, you know, basically proving panpsychism is a viable, you know, biological model to understand plant animal behavior, you know. Um, it's not as though they can refute those studies. <laughs> That's the problem. Right. So right. it's just like a deafening silence, you know. <laughs> they all know Rupert Sheldrake. He's the <laughs> member of the same societies, the same yeah. universities. They all know what he's written. They've read his papers. It's just like this wall of silence, you know. <laughs> so there's, there's a lot of fear in that, in as yeah. much as the academic um environment has become so competitive oh yeah and you know it's there's like a fear about you know stepping into a controversial area because the people who want your job will attack you through that right right you know we saw this i tell you a good case we saw this with john mack you ever heard of him he was the head of harvard medical school right and he went down to the asylum institute and uh, he met up with Stanislav, Dr. Stanislav Groff, you know, another mm-hmm. great researcher over there. And, and Groff was doing this holotropic breathwork, which is really, really intense, like shamanically intense breathwork with loud music and all of this stuff. <laughs> and he said, these people keep surfacing memories of being abducted by aliens. <laughs> and he, he said to John Mack, you want to look at this? This phenomena is, is really outstanding. So Max said, okay, head of Harvard Medical School, right? And a, and a you know, fully qualified psychiatrist himself, he did a 20-year-long attitudinal study of people with post-traumatic stress disorder without a trauma. Ah. And, and as they worked through the hypnosis protocols and everything, again, again, persistent and consistent memories of this alien abduction phenomena. And he documented all this and published it at Harvard Medical School when that, <laughs> in fact, Harvard itself went insane about it. <laughs> and they brought in a, a body of experts to review the study. They uh-huh. went through it, you know, with a, it's actually, it's, it's a model of its kind as a scientific uh-huh. study. But there's no way you're ever going to talk about this ever. <laughs> <laughs> right. You just can't talk about so, that. No. Yeah, he, he just like he stepped on that third rail, which, you know, yeah, yeah, despite overwhelming. I mean, this is a really bizarre thing, I know, but it's there. I mean, we don't understand it, but it's there. Right. Yeah. The problem is, whereas in in like advanced physics, um, if it's there, they rebuild the theory. OK, mm-hmm. they very rapidly, you know, cycle through data 
And whenever there's a, a controversial data, the theory gets rebooted. But when it comes to this stuff, sociological, psychological, anthropological, um, there's like a big cultural break, mm -hmm. which is like, you know, we can't go that far. That's, <laughs> that's scary. <laughs> Hard block. <laughs> Can't look at that. That's too real. Yes, yes. Like the UFO, UFOs, they keep filming, you know, yeah. zipping here, zipping there, appearing, disappearing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you know, we can't say what they are. You know, but no. like, because, you know, like people have said, like Valet, maybe about yeah. how, you know, like fairy abductions have a lot of similarities to oh, yeah, UFO yeah. abductions. And it's kind of hard to say, like, what actually is the phenomenon, like what's behind the phenomena, hmm. but they're definitely, they ha they've been happening, you know, it's, it's, it's a, a real human experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we live in a far weirder world than um, mm -hmm. we're prepared to give credit for. And, and because of that, I think we're failing to understand fundamentally uh, aspects of life. I mean, there's a, there's, a real, there's a real implication here that if we cannot acknowledge the range of sentient awareness in and yeah. around us, okay, um, then we look at the environment as though it's just a dead resource. Oh, yeah. Like you can just mine it, you know. Yeah right extract it doesn't matter it's just there to be extracted yeah and you know so the debate around personhood uh in my mind is absolutely critical one mm -hmm. to win you know yeah. where do we start expanding the horizon of, of our notion of personhood because once we do that all kinds of legal and moral implications are arise in respect to it you know Right. For instance, respect the personhood of trees or a forest, you know, because it communicates. I mean, we've got some real serious debates need to take place uh, along these lines, but they have massive implications for our environment. So that that is a I think it's really important. The idea of personhood. And I mean, this is this animistic idea. Uh, Panpsychism is, I guess, a little bit different, but um, and it's easier to see like trees maybe as a person it's maybe a little bit harder to see a forest for a human in raised in western you know yeah, ideas yeah. as a person but then there are also spiritual entities that you can't even see necessarily yeah <laughs> and and it seems like the, the the universe is just populated infinitely with beings yeah absolutely living cosmos that's what we're we're part of yeah i think part of the problem here is the narrowness of the western conception of awareness yeah yeah um so there's like this you know what charles talk called you know consensual uh range within mm -hmm. which awareness should operate and you don't see that in other cultures quite so much yeah. so the, the more traditional a culture is it seems the wider the range of states of awareness uh, and, and the knowledge you pick up in them uh, is ex much more accepted. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, and that's strange because we have a, had a counterculture, you know, since the like 50s or what, 40s. Uh, I mean, that's 
it's nothing new age about it, right? It's like 100 years old. <laughs> right. Well, even before then, I mean, in the U- U.S., you know, you had there were there was the occult revival, like you had yeah. like you had, uh, the spiritualism, theosophical. Yeah. Tra- uh-huh. You know, it goes back, but yeah. it's been kind of just yeah. pushed under the under the rug. <laughs> yeah. So I think that is also absolutely pivotal. Um, this, this acknowledgement of the dynamic range of our awareness and the willingness to accept evidence gathered uh, in those extended states of awareness is, mm-hmm. is, is kind of critical. Because I, I think when you do that, the spirits of place mm-hmm. inherit within landscape, within uh, certain situations, suddenly you know they're unavoidable you know they're 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 present literally to sight okay so i think that's where we've been missing out a lot is 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 in that area you know i i think like most drugs give a high but they don't give insight at that level unless you're looking at something like uh, i know ayahuasca yeah and you're doing a ceremony too like i think the ceremony is the the crucial part yeah, and it has to be in honor or honoring place and the spirits of place. You know, there needs to be, it's like coming up to any stranger, there has to be respect. Yeah. If there's <laughs> going to be communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and unless you come at it from a place of respecting, then, it, you know, they're not going to show up for you. They don't want to talk to you. You know, it's simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you could tell our listeners a little bit about the different levels of consciousness, like from rational, instinctive, intuitive, psychic, like how, you know, there's different actual levels and then how to access those different levels in your experience? Um, Yeah, sure. Um, Great. How's that? Cool. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So this is the diagram that's in the book in black and white. (laughs) (laughs) Very cool. And, and this is where I like started off trying, you know, uh, when I started writing this book, actually this was book was initially written before Game of Saturn. Uh-huh, yeah. I like self-published it in 2014. Yeah. And then yeah. it's been heavily uh, changed and revised and expanded ever since. So this was the first attempt to try and model the dynamic range of awareness in terms of states, normalized states, psi, healing, shamanic and mystical states, okay. So, I mean, move down. Okay, this is the one you were referring to in the book just now. Um, And what I wanted to do with this is show that from the bottom, the pointed part where our rational awareness engages with day-to-day problem solving has essentially quite a focused and narrow range of awareness attached to it but as we move back beyond that we come more into the instinctive and intuitive realms of awareness the field of consciousness we're accessing starts to grow wider okay Mm -hmm. and then empathic awareness and psychic awareness that i made these in yellow because these are the characteristic domains of awareness employed by a healer Mm -hmm. okay so coming out of the rational and instinctive realms, you know, they're essentially using an empathic state of awareness to connect directly with the client's awareness. 
Mm. Right. Right. So, you know, then in that state, you know, you sometimes see this with like uh, psychic mediums. Mm -hmm. Okay. They meet someone and they can immediately relate to that person's deceased family members who are present. Okay. So through empathic and psychic awareness, they're accessing this broader field of consciousness in which they're able to communicate with people who are deceased. Mm. And, you know, this, this is also a feature of family constellation therapy, by the way, which we'll talk about probably later on. Um, and then beyond those states, you start getting into the mystical and spiritual states. That's all I wanted to say about that, actually. Yeah, it was kind of interesting that first diagram that you showed, um, yeah. non-dual there. And I've been part of like non-dual adjacent like groups and communities. And I can see how it can be maladaptive <laughs> sometimes. Right. You have yeah, it, well, like, yeah, yeah, there's a much bigger problem uh, in as much as when you start through meditative or breathing uh, practices to change the frequency of your energy body, uh -huh. um, un, un, <laughs> the energy can get real intense real quick. Mm. And, and one of the immediate byproducts of that is that it tends to surface any uh, underlying emotional issues that haven't been resolved, mm -hmm. you know, like all the way back. So that the more intense your energization, the more intense will be the activation. And so now there's a delay here because like, for instance, if you're doing it with like breath work, mm -hmm. you're doing the breathing and the energy trails behind growing, growing, growing. And then you get to a point where it starts to surge. And at that point, the energy is not in your control anymore. Mm -hmm. and, and it will surge through your body and tend to activate any underlying emotional issues. That's why we do rebirthing breath work. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's a non-cognitive approach to personal empowerment and development. But we carefully limit it. Mm -hmm. And we're doing it. It's a 40-minute session. And we know when the client has got enough energy, we just ask them to back off. Uh -huh. Over the course of like six or 10 sessions, which may take a month, or two months, mm -hmm. then they have a positive change because they have clear, cleared themselves of these emotional issues. Now, if you go into a meditation intensive and you're building that energy in a 24 hour to 48 hour period, you're gonna get in serious trouble. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if there are underlying emotional issues and, and even day-to-day -day, um, like, fights with your spouse or your neighbor and then you come in and do these kinds of sessions right yeah. you are you are like primed for an explosion you know <laughs> yeah you're primed you know it's gonna you know something can go wrong very wrong and you know it just depends on how intense the energy practices are and like for instance all day intensive for seven days mm. you're going to blow a fuse Right. Yeah, that's Unless been the problem. Like, the, you know, you don't run a marathon after you've, you know, get out of bed or come out of the pub and run a 20 kilometer marathon. You don't do that. You, you need to build up uh, the stamina and the purification to a level where you can then take on an intensive, you know. I think a lot of people just dive into them from a hectic work schedule 
So, no. oh yeah, a week long intensive. That's what I need. You know, clear everything out. Start a, start afresh and just a, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> bang <laughs> right. yeah you, you hear that with like especially like goenka retreats people going off the off the rails at that, that's something yeah. Like that. yeah i mean it's it's a lack of basic understanding of healing if, you, if you've done enough energy healing you know the parameters here hmm. so you can you like scale them up to think about meditative practice and even kundalini related practices you know, right. you're very much aware of people's different tolerances for higher energy, you know? Yeah, the, the Kundalini thing, too, is also very, can be dangerous, you know? Like, I've, I've heard reports of people, like, uh, apparently dying from their energy body being, like, going too quickly, like the Kundalini going too quickly. And uh, and, and so I've, I've heard that it's best to only do it with a teacher and like under supervision okay but I mean, two, two things come to mind about that one is the classic account of this is by gopi krishna mm -hmm. right and, and he actually describes he said he was on the point of death yeah before somehow the energy balanced out he was actually on the point of death so a lot of people don't <laughs> seem to recall that chapter <laughs> right <laughs> but you know Secondly, I have to question the motivation. Okay. Why are you doing this? I mean, what's your frame of reference and understanding here? What is it you're trying to achieve? And how do you think Kundalini relates to that? Mm -hmm. This is a fundamental question. And I think a lot of people have a very, um, I don't know, deluded idea that somehow it will lead to some great spiritual breakthrough or insight and they'll carry that for the rest of their lives or I, I don't know i don't know what they're thinking yeah but i well, want to say want to get enlightened fast yeah well look who is getting enlightened then right <laughs> you know so it's putting this persona this um, consumerist persona into the role of being like this permanent container of spiritual enlightenment Mm -hmm. And, you know, the persona is not that. It's too shallow to handle the big issues. It's mm -hmm. too shallow to handle fundamental question of meaning. Yeah. It, it, it just enables us to interface with physical reality. And if you put too much stress on it, it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So if, if that is your primary focus of meaning going into any of these spiritual practices, you're looking for trouble because your persona is not big enough for that stuff. Mm -hmm. Okay, so unless you have, I'm preaching here, so please forgive me. Oh, go unless on. Unless you have service orientation, you should leave it alone. And then you're not doing it for yourself, it's for something else. And that's big enough to contain it. Okay. That, that's my perspective on that I, I don't know i hope that helps somebody <laughs> yeah, totally. yeah i mean one of my mentors said for him um he didn't there was not a real momentum forward in his spiritual practice until he decided well i don't know if it decided or it was decided to help others like that's that was the the orientation you immediately move from i to we yeah yeah 
And that shift is the fundamental shift in leadership. Mm -hmm. And once you've taken that step, you know, you're in a different, your persona is a vehicle for that. It's not a, a thing to fill and constantly try and fill to make it feel meaningful, right? Yeah. It, it becomes the vehicle for a higher cause. And that, mm -hmm. then, then it's in harmony, it's in right relation with everything, actually. Yeah. And that simple step brings you into right relation with nature, with the environment, with pets, neighbors, mm -hmm. everything, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess the, the question after that is, so how does one get to that point where they're focused on helping instead of themselves, which... Yeah. Yeah, you know, hard to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's normally we all get there by falling over so many times. <laughs> <laughs> you know, enough with the bruises already, you know. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Has to be a better way. So, you know, we kind of find our way there. Yeah. Some people seem to be born with it, I must say. You know, they're just naturally there. You know, I admire that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no easy answer that could be partly like their astrological placements or it could be like their past life you know but it could be both definitely past lives i think yeah yeah <laughs> you know and and again coming back to this bizarre alien abduction experience a lot of the people who have that wake up with a sense that not just they exist but i have a purpose Mm. That's a very strange aspect of it, you know. So again, our interaction with a much wider world of sentient intelligence uh, is like the, you know, nine-tenths of the iceberg that remains hidden under the surface, okay? But I suspect a lot of answers are, are hidden in that nine-tenths. Yeah. Like who runs the planet, for instance. <laughs> yeah. Who is running the show? What's going yeah, on? Yeah, good question. <laughs> um, that kind of brings up another question I had about healing past life trauma. So mm. if you have maybe uncovered through visions, dreams, maybe another healer or a psychic who tells you that you have this past life pain and and trauma what do you do with that how do you yeah. address it okay so there's two aspects to this one is um is it a present moment awareness of trauma i mean is there an emotional connection or is it just a, an intellectual understanding that uh something wrong in my trajectory through life seems to have roots back there mm. so let me give you an example of each, if I could. Yeah. So Kenzie, my partner, treating this guy in a huge business um, training for vertigo. And the guy couldn't even stand on a chair. I mean, it was that severe. Mm. Um, so she, she, you know, there's a clear presenting issue, vertigo. Mm -hmm. Starts doing the EFT tapping. All of a sudden, he's flooded with memories of jumping off the top of a building and dying in a past life. Mm. Okay, the vertigo was gone. He had the memory, you know. <laughs> well, it's okay. So that's one case. So he had a clear presenting issue to work on, emotional yeah. issue, right? Very the clear. The other case is, is much more 
intangible. It's that sense that a lot of people have that their trajectory through life is somehow missing some gear points, changes or something, okay? And they may have picked up the fact that there's some past life trauma as a possibility, but it's not actually a presenting emotional issue for them, okay? Now, in that case, good way to explore that is the family constellation therapy, okay? You know, and, and let me just briefly say for those who don't know this modality, because um, I, I went along to a lot of these and you can go along as a participating observer. You don't have to go along as I want therapy kind of thing. So there's two roles, one going along asking for therapy, another you want to see how is this conducted? What's it like? Is it for me? Um, you go along there, obviously there's a therapist, there'll be a couple of people who want the therapy and there'll be a small group who show up, you know, participating observers, right? First person of getting the therapy will go around the group who are complete strangers, by the way, and without announcing their, their issue, and they'll select them from that group. Like, will you represent my father or my, my mother or grandfather? And they'll put those people in the middle of the room, facing each other, facing away, far apart, near, you know. So it, it actually mirrors the dynamic of that family as they understand it. And something really weird happens there. And that person just sits down. They're not a part of the therapy at this point. Everyone standing in the middle of the room representing these family members who may be long dead and gone, doesn't matter, will suddenly feel an emotional overlay. So while you stay fully aware of consciousness, got your own thoughts, feelings, you know, there's nothing strange. You'll all of a sudden have an emotional overlay of access to thoughts, feelings, and even posture and voice tone of somebody you've never met. And, and who may be long dead. Okay, so. Yeah, and that's strange. <laughs> well, what you've done, you've created a symbolic field mm -hmm. that has been sufficient to shift everyone's awareness into the larger field of consciousness and recover the relevant information. Then the therapist goes around and checks on everyone's feelings, finds out where the blockage is to the flow of the energy, and it may be several generations back. So you just keep bringing on people, bringing on people until you find the locus of the problem. And then depending on the problem, you resolve it. Now with constellation therapy, generally it's, it's some kind of ethical violation in the past. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's not like just, you know, a rock fell on my head and I'm traumatized stuff. It's yeah. you know, serious ethical violation. There may have been a murder. There may have been, you know, theft of property. Yeah. Um, moving people off the land they owned. There's a lot of trauma in the land, you know, <laughs> just look at history. Yeah. So we're all coming through these historical lines, you know, through past lives. We could be implicated ourselves in a lot of different ways. Um, so family constellation therapy allows you to reenact the field as it was at the time of the causating mm -hmm. event. Resolve the ethical issue. And how does and the we, therapist resolve the ethical issue? Like you have to, that person has to ask for forgiveness from their heart okay. and the other person has to grant 
forgiveness from their heart. And that's sufficient to recode the field. Yeah. Okay. Forgiveness in a real way. That's it. Okay. That, it's so, so that's why we call it a knowing field. And also yeah. I call it a healing field. Uh-huh. It is ethically, <laughs> ethically wound, bound field of consciousness that we're all swimming in. Okay. Hmm. And that's why the therapy works. It's so cool. I got to see that. But, yeah, I just recognize that fact. Mm. My very good friend, anthropologist, uh, Dr. Logan Sparks, is doing constellation therapy on, on the like West Coast. And okay. I'm sure there are constellation therapists around the US. I'm sure, you know. Yeah. You can always just, you know, find a local group and participate and observe. You know, I did. I would love to. Yeah, the, um, the the intensity of the therapist has a lot to do with it. I went along to a very shamanic Carl Jungian trained therapist, and she was really intense. Yeah. Her <laughs> constellations tend to be pretty intense. Other people are more like Bert Hellinger, you know, more formal. Mm -hmm. So with all these modalities and techniques, you find someone whose style suits your own, you know, you're comfortable with working yeah. with. That's important. That's actually very important. Right. Yeah. So I guess we should talk a little bit about some of the other modalities um, like EFT tapping seems to be one that anyone can do on themselves. It's easy um, and you can just look up online how to do it. But the, okay. the family constellation seems a little more like a lot more involved. Yeah. Let <laughs> me just see. show you another diagram if I could. Oh, sure. please. Uh, okay. There we go. Okay. What I did with this uh this is not part of the book so it's like you know pretty well first time it's shown oh cool oh, i went through all the modalities that i could think of and i selected the ones that you know pretty well you can learn easily to practice on yourself um you could get training in so you could practice on others and you could even become a professional if you wanted and I figured that most of the modalities fitted into one of five basic categories. So like you have the blue meridian therapies there. Okay, emotional freedom techniques. This the, you know, <laughs> that's the one for me that really made the breakthrough. Gary yeah. Craig developed this out of thought field therapy, you know, back in the eighties, he demonstrated it was able to knock down post-traumatic stress disorder something which psychotherapy cannot do even today. Mm -hmm. He demonstrated on Vietnam veterans in, in the early 80s. And as you, as you know, there's absolutely no progress since then for the last 35 years uh, to bring that to people who need it. But there it is. It's so easy to learn. There's so many classes online. Acupressure, similar to that. I'm thinking of Tapas Fleming's uh, acupressure technique. And finally, magnet therapy, you actually run, you know, magnets across the meridians. So there's three meridian therapy techniques right away. Anyone can get into and especially emotional freedom techniques is right there at your fingertips on the Internet. So then getting into the breath work is a little more uh, needs more coaching. Definitely needs coaching. Integrative breath work is kind of the gentle meditative style of breath work. Most of these systems use circular breathing. That's to say you breathe in and out continuously with no break. So that, 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 that links up the energy field. 
Yeah. And you only breathe through the mouth or the nose. Mm. There's only two rules. When you exhale, you don't blow. You just allow it to come out by itself. It's so important. Uh-huh. And uh, when you come to rebirthing breath work, of course, you're into an intense form of it. It's not for everyone, but for people who like feel that their lives have like stalled or mm-hmm. like somehow they just didn't get where they thought they should be in life. And yet they're not prepared to do like hours of talk therapy. You know, mm-hmm. they, you know they don't have that handle on it. Something like rebirthing breathwork is probably going to shoot them forward, you know, in the space of like half a dozen sessions. Cool. You know, it's going to transform them. Because mm. okay? that's what I used to uh, facilitate, rebirthing breathwork. Um, and then holotropic breathwork, we all already mentioned, is really intense. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And then moving into the mind modalities, mindfulness, of course, everyone knows, I guess, by now. Yeah. Uh, especially John Kabat-Zinn is associated with uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction. He developed it from the Buddhist mindfulness um, meditation. Vivation, I trained with Jim Leonard, actually, the late Jim Leonard in that. Um, and that, that's, again, similar to inter- integrative breath work, except um, the breath is just used to gently surface um, disruptions or blockages in your energy body and then you breathe through them and relax and through acceptance they integrate again so it's a very beautiful technique and then EMDR which is the eye movement eye movement desensitization technique which is used now by psychotherapists everywhere okay so they probably wouldn't accept it as part of energy healing. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> but anyway, I put it there because that seems to be the best way of understanding how it functions. Mm-hmm. And then we come to the hands-on healing modalities. Reiki, of course, we already discussed. Uh, bioenergy, we talked about. You do need good training with bioenergy because you're using your own life energy to help others. Uh-huh. Yeah. And finally, therapeutic touch. We don't really see much of it, you know, because it's, Generally, healthcare workers are, are doing that. So just intuitive. Very much, yeah, very much so. Uh, and then come to the field modalities, mind connection healing, uh, developed by my partner Kenzie. And in that, you you insert an instruct a healing instruction into the energy field. So that then as you go through your day and your time, anytime a disruption or or, or upset comes up. You can call that instruction and resolve it there and then. Okay. So you're working directly with the field with these techniques. Family constellation therapy, we just discussed. As you say, you need a proper therapist to run something like that. It's not, you know. And then uh, what I've called spiritual healing, which is a huge area um, in which people work with a specific range of beings, gods, goddesses um (laughs) entities but i mean it's probably the most ancient form of healing known to humanity right you know you know this is like the root of the shaman shaman shamanic healing is over there Mm -hmm. you work with a lineage of spiritual beings you know so anyway uh, i hope that helps yeah that's (laughs) amazing i love this thank you for sharing it and i'm yeah. I'm really interested in Kenzie's technique, um, the mind connection healing. 
Yeah. Um, so can you give us an example of like how you would do that or does she offer like classes or? Oh yeah, yeah. She's do doing it all want? online now. Nice. Yeah, you just awesome. just go over to mindconnectionhealing.com and, okay. and you know she's got a uh, videos there. Uh, she got the first uh, class this weekend actually. Oh, yeah, cool. on Saturday and Sunday she's going to be training people how to. They'll actually internalize the instruction and they'll work on stuff. Oh over wow! Those two days this weekend um yeah i mean you've seen the stories in the book um yeah they're amazing mm -hmm. you know so that that's wonderful technique i mean th this is 25 years of daily energy healing work mm. um, in which she sees two or three clients a day up to last 25 years really wow. and evolved this technique from that experience from that base so yeah that's really something. I don't know. Uh, that I'd recommend mindconnectionhealing.com. Go look at it, you know, <laughs> check it out and Absolutely. write to her. You know, she does one-on-one -on -one sessions online and she does the training. But mm -hmm. we always say to people, get the training. Yeah, because then you Empower can... Empower yourself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So cool. these are, are about the, these, these last few ones that focus on the field. Um, and we talked a little bit about the field, but I think it's still maybe a little nebulous for some folks. Do you yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Because <laughs> it is nebulous? <laughs> it's pretty nebulous. I absolutely agree with that statement. Um, <laughs> let, me, let me give you another diagram then. If you okay. Um, I'm a visual learner, so I appreciate the diagrams. Oh, wow. Okay. You'll love this one. Yes. So this addresses this issue of when we're talking about, especially the healing field, uh, what do we mean? So on the left here, I've got the like the personal fields of consciousness and, and mainstream therapy recognizes, of course, present moment awareness, biographical memory and the biographical unconscious spaces. As a result of our healing work, there is absolutely no question in our mind that beyond that, we store memories of what we've called perinatal memory. That's to say in and around the birth process and in and around the time within the womb. Okay, they, they exist within your deep memory and they can, they can have an enormously influential effect on how you later on in life react to things. Okay. And you know, very often that connection uh, is, is not clear to people, obviously it's so deep. Um, and I think you will have seen some examples in the book of, of how people's experience in the womb subsequently affected all their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a real yeah, one, one example that came just popped in my mind is the person in the womb whose mother saw a snake in the kitchen and was so frightened yeah. of the snake. This person had never even seen a snake in their life, but they were petrified of him. Yeah, um, incredible. Isn't that wild? <laughs> it's really wild. <laughs> so beyond that, then you, you start hitting the memories of past lives and especially traumatic deaths in past lives. I've had a huge influence on, on people's subsequent, you know, behavior and, and what they could and couldn't do in life, what they could and couldn't achieve. Um, and this is not even the end of it, because backing all of this is the familial history. 
Okay. And, and you often find that people have traveled through that familial history to get born into this life. So they really do carry traces um, from quite extensive um, depth of time. And beyond that, of course, you have ancestral memory. And then beyond that, we seem to pitch into what I've called the universal field. But I, I would want to say that um, there's a, I think there's a point of environmental memory as well that we, because we live engaged in a particular environment, we have a connection to karmically and in terms of what we do day to day. Yeah. So this is by no means everything, but it, it, it's pretty well everything we come across in energy healing is covered with these different dimensions. Mm -hmm. mm. Okay. Yeah. So that's really for healing purposes. That's the field. Yeah. Cool. That that that, that covers everything. Okay. So does it help to look at the field as a person, or I mean, it seems conscious at least in some way. But well, you you can think of the field as dreaming us. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. <laughs> that would probably be more accurate. Hmm. <laughs> so what is, what's the, is, is, is the field god is the field the source or is it some like uh something in between or <laughs> I, I i don't know nobody can answer that you know because yeah. you know panentheism of course posits the notion of a creator outside of right everything you know but you know that's theological it's not you know it's way beyond anything we can ever begin i mean <laughs> There are gods. You yeah. know that through the higher yoga tantra and all those Vajrayana traditions and various other traditions, you know, multi-dimensional beings, you know, but they're, they're not God in, 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 right. in the like Judeo-Christian Judeo sense of that. Mm -hmm. The Godhead. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> well, something like in, in Hindu traditions, maybe like there's one God that symbolizes the all yeah well you can say that if the universe is totally alive in all aspects it's a total living cosmos in all dimensions and that it is self-aware and self-propagating and self-evolving mm. you know then we're just small passing dreams within that larger um framework right right okay that's a you know, and that's as close as you know, <laughs> the theology as you're ever going to get. <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, so the as... thing missing is thunderbolts directed directly at you. <laughs> we don't have that. <laughs> but we have karma. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so speaking of, you know, spiritual entities and, you know, these beings that are unseen for the most part, yeah. as we're opening ourselves up to these other, you know, con other, other beings and levels of consciousness, like how do we protect ourselves from maybe some of the more malignant or even just like not even ill-intentioned, but harmful spiritual entities that are out in this world? Predators. <laughs> yeah. Or, or parasites. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, they're pretty rare. First, first thing. Mm -hmm. You know, in, in, in most, uh, most happy people will never encounter them. Mm -hmm. 
you know you you need to be getting into some serious like you know grimoire sorcery <laughs> yeah you know to be you need to be poking around in dark places gotcha. um and, okay. and then it can happen to you there's no question about it and you may also inherit uh, certain uh, spiritual presences of a dark nature through your karma through your uh -huh. family line um or or through your past lives okay okay so you know in those cases you need to deal with karma um as karma because all I don't know anyone who's powerful enough to take on those entities. Oh. So, you know, when people start messing with the grimoire stuff and poking around in dark places, um, those entities and beings don't have a timeline bound by birth and death in the same sense we have. Yeah. And you go and commit yourself uh, to them for some material gain, then that contract will stay in place as far as they're concerned. Right. Yeah. I mean, to me, that seems really obvious, but also looking at certain corners of the a culture, uh, it's becoming increasingly common that people are yep. poking around in those corners Absolutely. and making Absolutely. those Packs. contracts. Yeah. 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 And that's kind of, uh, you know, Scare, not scary but it's unsettling disturbing. it's yeah. disturbing and i have people coming to me saying you know can you know can you clear us the, of this yeah and i'm sorry i can't I, I don't have that kind of power yeah you're meddling with karmic stuff here and you know this <laughs> the best hope they can do uh, is to get into a life of service and align themselves with higher order beings yeah Mm. yeah that's the best thing they can do you know and i think certain of the buddhist lineages has a certain retains a certain skill in dealing with entities like this yeah mm -hmm. you know maybe some of the uh, indigenous societies cultures um ayahuasca which is both a, a high order being as well as a plant as well as a ceremony right Mm -hmm. right capital a ayahuasca capital a is a being yeah yeah okay ancient being okay so those kind of beings are on the right level to handle this stuff we're not yeah so when you align yourself in a positive way with these beings you kind of come under their protective umbrella and as long as your alignment is how you live and and, and how you serve mm -hmm. then that umbrella is there, you know, and not just for this life, for all the conceivable lives, because those entities, those beings also don't have a bounded. Oh, that's cool. Timeline, right? They are, they're like multidimensional entities caring for certain aspects of sentient life. That's what they do. And when you align yourself with that purpose, you're aligned with them. Mm -hmm. And that's, that essentially was what clergy was attempting to achieve. Right. That, those initiations at Eleusis aligns you with higher order beings, which have local names of like Demeter, Persephone, okay? But they're actually higher order beings in multidimensional space um, with certain responsibilities. 
And that's why the, the ritual, the mystery initiation rituals were seen as, as, as a foundation stone of civilization itself. Hmm. Because they had an ethical dimension to them. Okay? You cannot align yourself with, with these beings without a certain higher order ethics. Right. So there's these like higher level spiritual beings. There's some that are more of the dark and some that are more of the light. When then you say dark, they're, they're parasites, basically. Uh-huh. Yeah. Gotcha. They're, they're not evil. I mean, a tiger in your living room is not evil, but you don't want it there, right? Right. That's the kind yeah. of same thing with the things we call demons are just energy parasites. They attach themselves to your energy body. Uh-huh. They will make you deluded yeah to generate the coarse crude energies that they feed on mm. so how do you as a energy worker healer you know if you in interact with somebody who has a parasitic attachment how do you protect yourself or can like can you do anything for that person like who maybe hasn't made a contract with you know somebody but they just have had an, a trauma and then something attaches themselves to them in well, that week there's an essay i wrote it's on my academia.edu site mm -hmm. and um it's called lord of the flies okay okay it's 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 the phenomenology of a possession i didn't put it in the book because it's disturbing Okay, but there's a case where I try to deal with uh, a situation like this. Okay, yeah. and eventually, you know, I, I realized that this is a multi generational thing. Mm. That the um, the entity is is firmly locked into this line for mm. uh, parasitic purposes. Um, that it's capable of assuming forms shapes appearances from that person's unconscious mm. so it appears it makes itself presentable Jeepers. and it attaches to them sexually oh god yeah <laughs> okay but it's not that it's not that yeah. at all that's yeah. all illusion the thing is energy parasite mm -hmm. and you know it's anyway yeah this is really dark stuff. Yeah, we... The essay is there for those who want to get into it. Okay. Okay. Um, and I wrote that essay. I got his permission to write that essay to detail the case because I thought it was important that somewhere we had a record of this. Yeah. Right. You yeah. know, especially acknowledging the different stages of possession. There's like four stages. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so you can... You know, you can begin to see the signs of it before it gets too far. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Like very, really important. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Like people waking up with cuts and bruises on them. Yeah. Uh -huh. uh, a, a run of accidents at the home, things uh -huh. broken, uh, miscommunications. These these are all like the early stages, and then it starts becoming kind of obsessional. Yeah obsessional mm -hmm. patterns of behavior and then it starts getting into the full possession you know so anyway i documented all this to try and try and give people anyway somewhere a reference of a phenomenology phenomenology of possession and it's on academia.edu i really didn't want to publish it uh 
mainly because it, of course it's so dark but also because it's so infrequently encountered yeah mm -hmm. yeah so, so i guess it's that's... not mainstream really in 25 years of energy healing work i encountered one case like this there's one case in the book where we um accidentally removed a sorcerer's spell off someone yeah right? yeah went into the ground and the dog got it dog uh -huh. was paralyzed for two weeks mm. finally we were free of it you know but from that day on we said no we we, we can't deal with this we don't know enough about uh -huh. these entities to deal with them effectively mm. mm -hmm. uh, no. and you never know what strength they have going into it right yeah and you know one of the cases uh you know because we're like a network of healers very often you you sell them just yourself um, I escalated it right up to somebody who's very spiritual, you know, the entity threatened her. Wow. It says, you know, you meddle with this, I'll, I'll come after you next. Oh. So, you know, the, there is stuff out there, but it's tied up with a lot of very, you know, dark and, and twisted things. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Okay. So it doesn't affect most of us at all. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, that's that's and, great. And for God's <laughs> sakes, never just think you can take it on and deal with it for someone. Yeah. That that that's you know that's risky. You know, it's very yeah. tempting to do it, but it's you know um, until you've actually there's a much lower level of energy uh, parasite, which is somebody is having an operation and somebody dies in the hospital, and then you know in like fear attaches itself to their energy body yeah and, and that that's easily resolved you know okay. you do the energy protocol and like angelic beings will come and take that person where they have to go you know that that's it's not problematic in that sense yeah mm. and like miasma like being like yeah those negative uh feelings kind of yeah attaching yourself you yeah so that's also part of why like it's helpful to have a spiritual practice because oh yeah yeah <laughs> they don't they don't do that yeah yeah but so, there are those lower level things that happen a lot more frequently too as yeah. opposed to like the demon possession that's something that you're hardly ever going to come across but the lower yeah those lower things are are more more likely to happen yeah and also if you're living on a particular tract of land you may be sensitive to anything that's happened in the past there Ah, yeah. You know, and you may want to clear that, for instance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, the, you know, there's the, the certain places which which have a darkness yeah. somewhere in them, you know, and you may want to clear that. You may want to commune with the land, find out what happened there, and then do something by way of restitution, for instance. Mm -hmm. You know, this thing about acknowledging a wrong and and doing restitution is fundamental to the field mm -hmm. totally because the field because in the, in the book you say that the field is ethical there's a the, very the, an ethical harmony the field yeah. is love mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. the field is love that's what it is so anything that disrupts that is is jarring within it uh -huh. and the most jarring thing are ethical violations within the field of course yeah, we're all in the field. So ethical violations jar connections, relationships, the thread of life itself. Yeah. So whenever you're restoring, you know, it's it's like, you know, if you're caring for a garden, you care for the field in the same way. Mm -hmm. mm. 
And I guess that that is intricately connected with karma too. I mean, the way I see yeah. karma is it's like consequence and like the tracks in space, like the habit, you know, yeah. what you oh, do yeah. builds up, it accrues momentum. Yes. Yeah. So like if you do those ethical <laughs> uh, betrayals, like, you know, something like that, like that, that messes up your karma as well as the people that you, you know, betrayed, but it messes up the whole field too. Mm. But it, yeah, and then it gets into those questions of like right and wrong and like what is, who is acting? Is it the field acting? Is it us acting? Is there, I don't know. Well, the, the field acts. Um, I mean, one of the real insights that I think Rupert Sheldrake brought to this thing when he, he calls the field the morphic field, right? Right, yeah. But, you know, he was trying to account for um, the transmission of um, behavior within certain species, right? So yeah. he was saying like the birds flying together in perfect synchronization. Yeah. They're, they're, they're obviously within a field. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, he, went, he went beyond that and said the field propagates an effect. Mm -hmm. yeah. Call that morphic resonance. So, you know, the field isn't this passive thing. Mm -hmm. It is propagating its effect. And that's why serious ethical violation in the past has an effect now. It's propagating for, mm. and that's why the remediation of that is so important. Stop that propagation. Yeah. So do you, do you see energy healing and these types of modalities as mainly working on sort of ethical violations and like uh, um, those kinks in the energy body yeah. and how, how does it like differentiate? Like, so I guess my question is, how do you know when it's something for energy work, energy healing, or if it's something for like allopathic medicine for like psych psychoanalysis or like herbalism or something like that? Like, how do you know, uh, like what are the right types of problems for energy? Okay. okay let me just address that. That's an important question. Um, I made some notes about this because I knew you would bring it up. And I, I thought this is something we have to be very careful about what we say. Um, yes, because we're not, we're not medical practitioners and we're yeah, not exactly. diagnosed disease. I'm not either. So right. I, I want to say there's nothing better than allopathic medicine in an emergency. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. That's I'm, important, you know. Um, we also have to recognize that the body is naturally a self-healing organism. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if it is not healing itself, then we need to look at some lifestyle factors, yeah, which are inhibiting it. Why okay. it's not healing itself? Yeah. So that I mean, in our experience, one of the biggest reasons is 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 some emotional disturbance. So, like you find, like Kenzie says, you know, if somebody comes with a presenting issue, she is the first thing she said, "When did this start?" And what was happening then? Yeah. Mm. Were you upset? Yeah. And as soon as she gets that, clear that upset, the physical issue goes. Wow. It's as simple as that. So mm -hmm. we're not saying, we're not, we're not doctors, we're not diagnosing, we're certainly not prescribing. Yeah. 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 This stuff is adjunct to allopathic medicine. Sits on the side, doesn't replace it. Yeah. Um, we don't deal with people who are under psychiatric supervision. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, you know, we certainly never recommend anyone to stop taking whatever drugs they've been prescribed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and for certain types of disorders like um, OCD, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, um, schizophrenia, psychosis, and we do not deal with those. That doesn't mean the energy healing techniques don't work with those things, they do. But as energy healers, we're not equipped to support people through that process. Yeah. yeah. They need a professional context for that support. You know, if they get suicidal one night, you know, we're not there, you know, when we're not equipped to deal with that stuff. So that's why I thought it was so positive. So many psychotherapists, psychiatrists are also using energy healing techniques. And you can always check on that, you know, before you go to those people Mm -hmm. and find ones if, you know, if you're looking for that. Um, So that, yeah, if you don't have this emotional issue and diet exercise and general happiness and fulfillment in life, these are the real (laughs) things that affect people day to day in our experience. For sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So we tend to think of a lot of energy work as a maintenance or preventative um, exercise. So like doing Reiki every day for me is rejuvenating. Mm -hmm. Okay, you know, but also if I, you know, stub my toe, cut myself, bruise or whatever, it's, it's right there. First aid, you know, yep. the best you can get. Yeah. You may still go to the hospital to have stitches, whatever. But by then the healing, you know, will have started already. You will staunch the, the bleeding, for instance. The bruise won't come out as bad. You may still have to have a, a bone reset, but, you know, that's another thing. You won't mm-hmm. be in agony. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the way you, you, you work with these techniques um, perfectly complements allopathic medicine in many ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I was saying earlier, they're not sealed off from each other. Increasingly, you're seeing levels of crossover, which we wouldn't have dreamt of 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Right. Reiki, yeah. Reiki in hospitals, EFT amongst psychotherapists and psychiatrists. Yeah. Um, and major clinical studies showing Reiki as effective in pain relief or EFT is actually knocked down post-traumatic stress disorder in just three rounds of tapping, you know, which is <laughs> unbelievable. It's amazing. Um, it is absolutely amazing. And yet, you know, how many people are dying each year from, you know, veterans from post-traumatic stress disorder? Yeah. You know, why? Where's the inertia? You know, that's, you know, that's why I love to talk to people through the podcast. You know, these Mm -hmm. techniques exist out there. They're not a threat to allopathic medicine. Yeah. And EFT is something that anyone can do and learn how to do in 15 minutes. Real fast, real fast. Yeah. Yeah. And without, without spending a cent, you know, it's it's free. Yeah. Right. So, um, Anything else on that? Yeah, not no, I think- really. I mean, that, that was the basis. Um, like, for instance, if somebody has uh, persistent small back pain, mm. we often find that's connected with uh, money worries, hmm. as an example. Cool. So when you attack the underlying fear or anxiety, you get very quick relief or, or repair of, of the physical organism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I yeah, guess... So- Part, part of it is like addressing the worry, but also like addressing the symptom, but also addressing 
the reason that you have money worries too <laughs> could be yeah there may, there may be emotional reasons for that as well yeah poor relationship with authority poor relationship with money can have deep-seated emotional causes you know we looked at the layers of consciousness there mm-hmm. all kinds of issues in your family back whenever around the issues of money and relationships to power i mean these are the perennials of human experience (laughs) for sure so to sort of wrap up this amazing conversation i'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to you make a comparison or distinction between the good life the pleasant life and the meaningful life (laughs) and you touched on that a little bit like having a life that lives in service uh, that you live in service will lead to health and happiness. I'm wondering if you can speak a little yeah. bit. I mean, this was like classic uh, positive psychology, mm-hmm. these, these three steps. Mm-hmm. And, and what they've figured out is that you need to have all three in play yeah. uh, to, to feel fulfilled in life. So the pleasant life is, is enjoying those good things, okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all you have in life, there's going to be a very, you know, dis- not pleasurable life. Yeah. If you're only chasing pleasure, then it actually is less pleasurable. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It just wears off after a time. Get bored. Uh, so the real, it begins to become meaningful in the next step up, um, which is engagement, really. Hmm. And uh, when I talk to people, I, I find that very few of them have a good sense of what their strengths are. Hmm. Okay, so I really recommend people to go and do one of these uh, self uh, assessment questionnaires, you know, Mm -hmm. strengths. There's a couple of them online. Do one of them, have a look, do another one, have a look at that, compare them, figure out where what it is that you really do well, and then start to engineer your life to do more of it more of the time. That's, you know, it's not like a sudden switch. Mm-hmm. yeah but until you recognize those strengths and where they can be at play and start moving into areas where you really start using them on day-to-day basis that's where you start getting some real big satisfaction in life coming out you know yeah and then beyond that the, th- the third like movement is into this area of meaning mm-hmm. um and for me it's it's irrevocably bound up with ethics and with leadership. Mm. So the more that you shift out of the I, which, as I said, is a poor vehicle for meaning. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a fine vehicle for dealing with day-to-day stuff, but on, 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 the, on, the, on the issue of meaning, it's, it's very poor. And as you shift away from I to we, to the service of your family, to your community, or what you can do for others, you all of a sudden find yourself in a kind of transcendent space relative to your persona. Mm. It's like you've, you've entered into a larger dimension of meaning, okay, in which the persona's back there, you know, and it does this job. But actually the fruit of, the, of life itself is, is in this, this wider uh, merging with community. Mm. You become identified more with the field. Than with absolutely the what it is is that yeah yeah you're you you come into alignment essentially 
Mm. And I would say there's a fourth step beyond that, which, you know, is this alignment with the higher order ethics and those higher order beings, you know, which doesn't feature as part of positive psychology, obviously, but it's there for a lot of us. So how those deities uh, appeal to you, you know, varies enormously, you know, but um, there's certainly a, I mean, I, I think I have an anecdote in the, the book. I went along to see Tom Kenyon once. I, I didn't know anything about him except that he had these beings called the Hathors. And, you know, I was like, what? <laughs> You're like, all right, bud, whatever. Deities or something? Uh-huh. <laughs> My eyes had rolled up, you know. <laughs> so I went along with open mind and mm -hmm. I sat there and he started singing. He's got this multi-octave voice, beautiful. And then all of a sudden on the apron of the stage around him, there's these tall columns of light formed. They were like, I don't know, four or five meters as well. And then they like drifted off the apron and up through the auditorium and disappeared, you know? I thought, wow, you don't see that every day. What was that? You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> At the end of this thing, somebody from the audience asked him, you know, these Hathors, what do they look like? You know, he said, oh, when they manifest, it's as tall white columns of light. I was like, wow, that's it. Wow. Strange thing is I didn't get any emotional or power effect from them. Yeah. They were like just coolly there. Mm -hmm. And obviously he has a conversation with them about spiritual evolution on the planet and this and that. Um, I, I only say this because uh, I didn't engage with those. I don't engage with Tom's work. I don't engage with those beings, but I saw them. Mm. Mm hmm. Very cool. You know, and that's that's a very rare thing. So I'm passing that on because yeah. I, I experienced that. Um, they, they were there. There was no doubt about it. And yeah. they seem to have a very high frequency. Mm -hmm. I saw them, but, you know, obviously everyone I was there with hadn't seen them. I went with a group of people. Nobody else had been aware that they were there. Mm. But they were there. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So, these these higher order beings definitely exist and they have high frequency energy and i think in initiatory contexts um and this is this used to be true in europe of the mystery initiations is now true still in the indo-tibetan uh, deity yoga mm -hmm. those initiations are immensely powerful like mm -hmm. they will give you a spontaneous experience of enlightened awareness Mm -hmm. that, you know time maybe just half an hour but you you'll get it mm -hmm. the rest of your life will be spent trying to recapture that because <laughs> <laughs> <Right. laughs> mm -hmm. we, we we don't have the energy body to sustain these states right mm -hmm. we, just, we just don't you know but to taste it and to yeah. know it changes everything mm -hmm. hmm. yeah i think what you just shared is so important about, you know, living a meaningful life. And, um, so many people are searching for meaning, you know, they're, they're yeah, on. They don't seem to generate life. meaning. That's the they're, problem. They don't understand that meaning is generated. Mm, they're it's looking not for it. Yeah. Instead of generating it. Gotcha. Creating it. Co-creating. The persona yeah. is looking for it and, and it's and not to be found. Okay. Yeah. Meaning yeah. is generated by what you do. 
Ooh, yeah, that's. And it's, it doesn't come from any other place. That's not so wise. Facebook scrolling. <laughs> you don't. Sorry? You don't find not Facebook scrolling. That's not how you find meeting. I'm assured. I'm assured you can find enlightenment on TikTok. So, Peter, this has been amazing. Um, would you like to share with our listeners where you can find where they can find your book, and if you're excited about some any new endeavors or what's what's ahead? Um, let me show a little slide. I've got something else here. If I could just get it up, um, yeah, bit of uh, promotional uh, screen sharing. Yeah, yeah. So the Power of the Healing Field is the book, uh, petermarkadams.com and mindconnectionhealing.com. There's training this weekend. Anyone wants to get empowered, um, it's there. Excellent. Cool. Okay. So, Thank you so much, Peter. This was so fun and I learned yeah, so Yeah, I enjoyed it. It was great fun. Thank you. Well, enjoy the rest You're of welcome. your day. Thanks for being on the show. Maybe another time. Yeah. Please, anytime. <laughs> <laughs>